Hello everybody, it is another episode of Behind the Catch Fence, episode 4. I'm your host, David Hoffman. From the man cave once again, which I still haven't posted anything, but I definitely will. So uh, you guys, don't be freaking out yet. The man cave pictures are coming, y'all. Before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously No Copyright Music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No copyright music. On today's episode, we have the duel in Detroit recap, both race one on Saturday and race two. And we'll go through the results of both of those races, and we will go through point standings after the duel in Detroit. Look ahead to Texas Motor Speedway under the lights on Saturday night. And we will also have winners and losers of the weekend of the duel in Detroit. And I might go on a little bit of a rant, but my soapbox is right. I'm already standing on it, so it might be interesting here soon. So let's get right into it. I'll do a quick recap of the duel in Detroit race one on Saturday. Alexander Rossi was on pole. However, severe weather would force IndyCar to make it into a time race. So on the opening lap, Mateus Laced would spin around on his own, bringing out the first yellow. And then 12 laps into the race, Marco Andretti and Andretti Autosport would take a roll of the dice for track position and become the first ones to put on slick tires, with conditions beginning to dry. That move would turn into must-see TV, with an onboard camera of Andretti just getting up on the wheel, tiptoeing and wheeling his Honda around Detroit, trying to get the tires up to temperature and hoping for a caution as soon as possible. A couple laps later, Ed Jones would get into the tire barrier, bringing out a caution, which was exactly what Marco Andretti needed. Andretti was supposed to be the race leader after everyone else came in to do their pit stops, but IndyCar opened pit lane a lap early, and Andretti would remain in the rear of the field. Andretti would show his displeasure on Twitter later that night on Saturday. He tweeted, in quotes, We got hosed. Was looking good until race control made their own rules. Again. End quote. Yeah, Marco, you got hosed big time. When's the last time that pit lane was open, that IndyCar opened pit lane a lap early? Like, I've never heard of that, and Andretti just completely got hosed. Man, I've never used hose so much in my lifetime. It's like I'm freaking listening to Bob and Doug McKenzie from Strange Brew. <laughs> you hoser. <laughs> but anyway, uh, during that cycle of stops, Will Power had trouble on pit road. He, they didn't get the lug nut tight on the right front and the right front tire would proceed to slip off and ruin any chance of power notching a podium finish, and then Joseph Newgarten would restart as the leader with 33 minutes left. Man, that's weird talking about minutes. This isn't IMSA. Jeez. But anyway, with 33 minutes left, Alexander Rossi and Scott Dixon would be right behind him in tow. Shortly after the restart, five-time champion Scott Dixon would clip the inside wall and go headfirst into the tire barrier. A rare incident by Dixon. It would be his first DNF in two years. The closing laps would be decided between the two young Americans and Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi, but Newgarden would prevail, notching his second win of the season. And as we look at the results from race one in Detroit, Alexander Rossi would be second, Takuma Sato finishing at the podium, third, Felix Rosenquist, fourth, Ryan Hunter Ray, fifth, Simon Pagino, sixth, Graham Ray Hall, seventh, Zach Veach, eighth, James Hinchcliffe, ninth, and Spencer Piggott, tenth. And then moving on to race two, Joseph Newgarden would be on pole. And because it was a dry and sunny day on Sunday, it would mean the full race distance would be met and we wouldn't be screwed with minutes and times and seconds and whatever all that other crap is. <laughs> anyway, uh, lap one, lots of contact in the middle of the pack would lead to a caution in turn three involving rookie Pato Award. 
Tony Kanan and Simon Pagano. Strategy would come into play early with some drivers wanting off of the Firestone red tires as soon as possible, so that would shake up the field and put Scott Dixon up front on the following restart. Seven laps after the restart, those red Firestone tires would completely fall off and lose all grip possible for most of the drivers that didn't pit during that last caution, causing major chaos in the running order. Indy 500 Rookie of the Year Santino Ferrucci would inherit the lead, but a caution would quickly strike one lap later due to miscommunication between Sebastian Bourdais and Spencer Piggott. Piggott was trying to dive down to pit road, but Bourdais would, would be caught off guard and the two would collide, sending Bourdais' car into a full-on wheelie. Somehow, he was able to hang on and continue. Man, that Sebastian Bourdais wheelie was something else to watch live. Like, I'm like, oh, he's going full Dukes of Hazard on everybody. Like, man, only Sebastian Bourdais would be able to do that and hang on and still be able to finish the race with no significant damage. Bourdais' teammate Santino Ferrucci would be sitting pretty for a handful of laps, but then chaos would ensue in turn three on lap 33 between Alexander Rossi, Joseph Newgarden, and James Hinchcliffe. Those three were the top three notable ones that get off of the red tires as soon as possible, and they at the time before the wreck were sitting pretty. After exiting the pits on lap 33, Hinch came out just in front of Newgarden and Rossi, but he had cold tires. Hinchcliffe made a daring move to cut in front of them both, and both of those drivers had to check up slightly. Newgarden would then proceed to stuff his Chevrolet into the corner inside of Hinchcliffe, and the two would tangle with Rossi slightly getting collected as well. With that crash shaking up the field, who else but Scott Dixon would inherit the lead after pit stops? With six laps to go, Felix Rosenquist would lose it going into turn one due to a bent toe link, ending his top ten day. Scott Dixon would hang on for the final three laps and rebound from race one to notch his 45th career victory. And as we look at the race two results from the duel in Detroit, Scott Dixon first, Marcus Erickson, the rookie for Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports, would end up second. And Will Power third, rebounding from a terrible race one and then a little bit of trouble on race two where his car just completely stalled. So great rebound by Will Power. Ryan Hunter Ray fourth, Alexander Rossi fifth, Marco Andretti sixth, Graham Ray Hall seventh, Zach Veach with another eighth place finish. Sebastian Bourdais rebounding from that full on Dukes of Hazard wheelie in ninth, and rookie Santino Ferrucci tenth. And then as we look at the standings after the duel in Detroit, Joseph Newgarden maintains his points lead with a 15-point advantage over Alexander Rossi, followed by Indy 500 winner Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon 4th, Takuma Sato 5th, Will Power 6th in points, Ryan Hunter A 7th, Canadian James Hinchcliffe 8th, Graham Ray Hall 9th, and two-wheelie man Sebastian Bourdais in 10th. Oh yes, you know what time it is. Now it is time for winners and losers of the weekend. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, I should probably add in my own sound effect instead of my own voice. That's kind of crappy. But anyway, winner number three from the duel in Detroit, Ryan Hunter-Ray. Hunter-Ray to me seems to always be severely underrated. He gets overlooked so often, and I feel a big part of that is because of the rise of fellow American teammate Alexander Rossi. The amount of praise Rossi gets, even though it is well-deserved, is a little bit much at some sometimes. I feel like it gets overlooked that Hunter Ray is both a former IndyCar champion and an Indianapolis 500 winner. His epic duel with Elio Castroneves in the 500 in 2014 is one that will go down as one of the best in IndyCar history. I'm not sure if it's just his quieter, just go about his business personality or what it is, but Ryan Hunter Ray deserves way more credit. He ran extremely well this weekend with two solid top five runs. He finds himself solidly seventh in points. Winner number two, Graham Rahal. With his seventh place finish in race one, Rahal had momentum going into Sunday. 
However, a gearbox failure in qualifying put him back dead last on the starting grid. Fortunately for Ray Hall, his Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team, they were able to fix the gearbox before the race. Ray Hall would methodically work his way through the field, and with cautions falling his way, as well as fellow competitors crashing out, he was able to drive his way up to 7th. It gives Ray Hall and the team a great boost of confidence going into Texas, where Graham always seems to thrive and flex his muscles on the mile-and-a-half oval. Ah, yes, it is time for our number one winner of the week. Man, we got to start sending out t-shirts or stickers soon. Your number one winner of the week for the duel in Detroit is... Zach Veach. Veach came into the weekend with a bruise on his left fibula from the Indy 500 crash, so if it was bad enough racing with a bruise on your fibula, driving on one of the most physically demanding tracks on the IndyCar circuit would be a challenge. However, two outstanding qualifying efforts of 8th and 3rd would give Veach the confidence needed to attack the street circuit. However, coming to the green flag on race 1, Veach would clip a curb in turn 8, sending him around and essentially starting 22nd. Even with all the rain, Veach worked his way up the running order, and with great pit strategy, it put him right back up within the top 10, and he would wind up finishing 8th. A much cleaner race 2 gave way to Veach notching another 8th place finish, and a lot of momentum going into Texas. I know last year Veach ended up wrecking in Texas, but before that wreck in Texas last year, he was outstanding. I I believe he was running top 10 for the majority of the opening stint and before his wreck. He looked great, and I'd honestly look out for Zach Veach to be a dark horse come next Saturday night. Oh no, it is time for our losers of the duel in Detroit. Man, I don't want to call any of these guys losers. I say this every week. I'm sorry. I'm repetitive, but it's fine. Anyway, loser number three of the week is Tony Kanan. Kanan and AJ Foyt Racing struggles continued this weekend. Lack of speed and lack of resources continued to plague the entire team. During an interview before qualifying for race two began, Kanan basically said the team has done everything they possibly could do, but the car felt like it was just on skates. (laughs) That's not good at a track like the streets of Belle Isle that's constantly thrashing the driver around the track with all the bumps. Kanan had a decent 15th place finish in race 1, but race 2 is an absolute disaster. A collision on the opening lap would end his day and continue his disastrous season. Fortunately for him, the NTT IndyCar Series heads to Texas, where he's had a great track record there. Four of his last five races have been in the top five. With it being a home race for AJ Foyt Racing, we'll see if Kanan and teammate Mateus Leist are able to have competitive race cars this time around. Ah, oh, man, this one hurts for our number two loser of the week. Ah, oh, man, ah, oh, no. David, don't do it. Fine, I got you. James Hinchcliffe was our loser number two of the week. I know in this industry I'm not really supposed to be biased, but I love James Hinchcliffe. He's the man. I want to see this guy succeed on a weekly basis. A solid ninth place showing in race one, and then a great fifth place qualifying effort in race two gave Hinchcliffe and the Aeroschmidt-Peterson Motorsport team a boatload of confidence going into Sunday's race. Everything seemed to be working in their favor, and with being on the same cycle with Alexander Rossi and Joseph Newgarden, he was poised for at least a podium finish, if not maybe a win. However, after exiting the pits on lap 33, we all know what happened there with the collision between Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi. Hinch would end up having more car troubles later on in the race, and he would finish 18th. It's frustrating from a fan's perspective for James Hinchcliffe. Hinch and the Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport team have only gotten better since his arrival in 2015, but they simply aren't consistent. They always seem that they're on the wrong end of luck, and you hate to see it. 
James Hinchcliffe and the Arishmet-Peterson Motorsport team are definitely a top 10 team week in and week out, but as long as the consistency isn't there, they won't be able to take that next step, which is being a top 5 team every race competing for podiums. Fortunately, rookie teammate Marcus Erickson was able to notch his first career podium this past weekend in race 2. Plus, Arishmet-Peterson Motorsport is always strong at Texas Motor Speedway, so look for James Hinchcliffe and Marcus Erickson to make Saturday night very interesting. Oh no, it's that time of the day for our number one loser of the week. I don't want to play this sound, but I'm going to have to. Our number one loser of the week is Felix Rosenquist. You're probably wondering why Felix Rosenquist is number one, because he ran well all weekend. However, the main reason he's my number one this week is because of race two in the duel in Detroit. With six laps to go, when he lost control of his car, it was yet another crash bill for Chip Ganassi. In the NBC booth, Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy acknowledged after the crash that on pit road, Ganassi had hinted to them before the race had began about potentially offering Alexander Rossi whatever he wants. We all know Ganassi doesn't like crashed race cars. His motto, I like winners, gives drivers an added pressure when they join the team. My worry with Rosenquist is if he struggles the rest of the year, he'll be put in an Ed Jones type of situation like last year and be on the unemployment line. Ganassi has had an extremely short leash for new drivers, and I wouldn't be surprised if Rosenquist is out if he continues to struggle. When Sage Karam was driving for Ganassi in 2015, he showed a lot of promise, but he crashed too many cars and struggled at some tracks, so Ganassi axed him after one season that was split with Sebastian Saavedra. Ed Jones had a lot of promise, especially after finishing third in the 2017 Indianapolis 500 with Dale Coyne Racing. Jones never looked completely comfortable in the 10 car for Ganassi, and Chip axed him after just one full season. It's, it's obviously a cruel business, but there's no doubt Felix Rosenquist has talent. Since his stellar performance in St. Pete at the beginning of the year, where he qualified third and finished fourth, it's been a definite learning curve, but with five top tens in the first eight races, he's definitely shown his capability. My overall thoughts on the duel in Detroit is, well, the first race with the, all the wet conditions, it wasn't as fun to watch, but it was definitely more interesting just to watch with pit strategy and then, you know, Marco Andretti's insane drive to try and wheel that thing around on, on slick tires on a almost, on a still wet racetrack was just absolutely insane to watch. But race two had no shortage of storylines. And race two continued to show that IndyCar is continuing to be on the rise and they have the best racing around and you can't top it right now. And thankfully for IndyCar, they're going to yet another absolutely outstanding racetrack in Texas Motor Speedway where the action will be aplenty. Let's just say that. Oh boy, you guys want to know what time it is next? It is time for Shut Your Fuel Cell, dumbest Twitter comments of the week. I scroll through Twitter comment sections, which in 2019 is the last thing you ever want to do. And it sparked a new weekly segment last week that I introduced, and I'll read some of the most ridiculous ones. So let's begin. By now you guys know I used to be a huge NASCAR fan, and definitely not a big NASCAR fan as of lately, but Joe Gibbs racing driver Kyle Busch had this to say on Saturday in response to the potential of maybe running both the NASCAR Cup Series and the IndyCar Series at Pocono on the same weekend. This is what Kyle Busch had to say, in quote, there's no race on the IndyCar circuit that's worth running besides the Indy 500, end quote. Come on, Kyle Busch, man. I have a little bit of beef with Kyle Busch. I always have. He He's always just been that jerk, and there's so many adjectives I'd like to say about him, but I won't on this podcast because I, I go to Liberty, and you can't really say anything, and it's against the Liberty way. So if you haven't heard that, you have now. Can't say anything demeaning to Kyle Busch, but 
How, what does Kyle Busch know? He has, he's never driven an Indy car. And I feel like for Kyle Busch, that's just another thing that NASCAR is kind of shoving out there that they're trying to knock down Indy car as much as they can, especially this uh, during the Indy 500 when Dale Jr. was there. Dale was absolutely amazed. You could tell by the entire atmosphere of IndyCar in general. And I feel that NASCAR is starting to feel the pressure of IndyCar because IndyCar is definitely on the rise. And with NASCAR continuing to lose more sponsorship, losing more fans, losing ratings, ratings just dropping like a rock, IndyCar has been on the rise. They're doing everything correct. And NASCAR, they're starting to get a little pissy around here with uh, IndyCar potentially taking the throne of best overall motorsports in general in terms of popularity and in racing, which in racing they already have passed them. That's that's obvious. So Kyle Busch, you just need to stick to your stupid M&M's race car and continue to cry even though you're winning almost every week because it's that uncompetitive right now in NASCAR. I was past Tuesday. This article was written by a columnist from the Daytona Beach News Journal. And it suggested that a combined NASCAR ISC should use the new leverage to persuade IndyCar to move its 500 to Saturday in order to help drivers run the Indy 500 and the Coke 600 double. I mean, first off, just because NASCAR officially owns ISC does not mean they get to control what IndyCar does. That's just plain stupid, and you, you're not going to be able to persuade IndyCar, oh yeah, we're just going to move our Indianapolis 500, the biggest sporting event in the world, mind you. Yeah, we're just going to move it to Saturday so more drivers can run this Coke 600 and Indy 500 double. The thing that irritates me the most is drivers that actually attempted the double, like like John Andretti, Tony Stewart, Kurt Busch, Robbie Gordon. It took a lot of balls to be able to do that in the same day. That's what made it exciting. That's what made it interesting. And you're never going to see that again by any driver ever again. Tony Stewart, the fact that he could finish top 10 in both of those doubles that he ran in 1999 and then 2001, it's incredible. That's an incredible feat, and I don't know what else you can say about it. That's what made it special. The double, that was what made it special. And you're just taken away from the double in general if you do that. And the, the Indianapolis 500 is the highest rated motorsports event on Memorial Day weekend on that Sunday. So if anything should be moved, it should be the Coke 600 to Saturday if you're really going to go that way. That's just plain stupid and a dumb article. I have no idea how that article even gets published, so that's just beyond me. Now, here's another one. This was absolutely nuts. I can't believe I actually read this entire thread. We'll call this person uh, Trudy. Trudy said, Brickyard 400 and Indy 500 on the same day. How about that? This, uh, I'll call this other person Kristen replies, At the same time. And then Trudy replies, I'd watch the hell out of that. And Kristen's like, there's just two different races going on in the NASCAR drivers and IndyCar drivers just trying not to interrupt each other. Somebody else, I'll just call him Patrick. I could get behind this. NASCAR pits on the back. How about that? Really? We already have a series that's, you know, dedicated to having the different classes. That's IMSA. And IMSA does a great job with that. That That's just not possible to run IndyCar and NASCAR on the same exact racetrack. It's an accident waiting to happen, especially with IndyCar going boatloads faster than NASCAR, and that's only going to cause chaos, and it's just an absolutely terrible idea by that random commenter, Trudy. So, uh, Trudy, shut your fuel cell. And with that, it's time for a little bit of a news section for IndyCar this week. On Wednesday, McLaren's CEO, Zach Brown, came out and said, McLaren's failure to qualify for this year's Indianapolis 500 makes it highly unlikely it will enter the series full-time in 2020. Well, yeah, obviously you're not going to enter in full-time in 2020, especially with that embarrassment. you got to at least have two years to let that burn soak in. 
But I feel like the only way they're going to be able to compete and understand and get the resources needed and figure out things in IndyCar is to run the full schedule. Take your lumps early on in the season, and so you'll be better prepared come the month of May, and you'll be able to actually compete in the Indianapolis 500. That's the only way you're going to improve, and if you're really going to do it right, bring in another driver to race alone, Fernando Alonso, that has experience. Heck, even a Connor Daly would be a great addition to any team. And if McLaren were to have a two-driver two lineup like a Connor Daly or a J.R. Hildebrand along with Fernando Alonso, that'll help the team get along and they'll be able to compete quicker than they would if they just ran Fernando Alonso by himself. So McLaren, if you're going to really do it right, run it full-time, take your lumps early, and be better prepared come next year. In other news, IndyCar is in talks with Richmond Raceway about a potential return. Although IndyCar Vice President of Promoter and Media Partner Relations, Stephen Stark, says we are nowhere near a deal, but we've had high-level conversations. That'd be honestly great to have a race in Virginia again, especially in Richmond. That's a great racetrack, and with it being another D-shaped oval like Iowa, it's bound to bring great racing, unlike when the older older generation of cars raced there. It just wasn't fun, it just was kind of boring, but with the new generation of race cars... It's bound to bring great action, and I hope Richmond Raceway gets added to the schedule as soon as possible, maybe even 2021 at the earliest. Who knows? That'll be very interesting to keep our eyes on. Ah, yes, on Sunday morning, Scott Dixon was awarded New Zealand's Order of Merit. He's been recognized by his homeland with the awarding of New Zealand's Order of Merit. It was announced as part of the Queen's Birthday Honors List. Dixon's bestowment by Queen Elizabeth II has been made for his contributions to motor racing. That's pretty cool. I mean, like Scott Dixon said in an interview with Robin Miller with NBC, that you know, it's a different kind of accolade that not like not a lot of people can be, you know, can say, yeah, I've been awarded a New Zealand's Order of Merit. Like that doesn't happen very often, and that's great for Scott Dixon. He's a great human being, great overall guy in general, an absolute badass of a race car driver as well. So that's great for Scott Dixon, and yet another accolade that he can, in quotes, add to his trophy collection. And then in other news, Indianapolis Motor Speedway president Doug Bowles throws out the idea of a NASCAR slash IndyCar slash IMSA triple header at Indy in 2021. He said in quotes, if Indianapolis were to welcome NASCAR and IndyCar on the same weekend, he would love to think beyond just a double header and see if the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship could also be part of the event. That would be very interesting. Like, it's definitely not possible. I don't see that ever happening. They'll have all three series at Indianapolis on the same weekend. First off, where are you going to hold every single garage area for all the teams? That's going to be nuts. And then practice sessions, qualifying sessions. I mean, it's a brilliant idea, but it's just logically not possible. But it would definitely bring in a boatload of fans, and it would definitely be off the charts in terms of ratings for every single series. So I, that's obviously not going to happen, I don't feel, but who knows? We've seen crazier things happen. Oh, and finally, Texas Motor Speedway. Now, this is huge, really huge. Texas Motor Speedway unveiled the Hog Heaven Brisket Dog ahead of the DXE Technology 600 for the IndyCar Series race weekend. This looks insane. You have to look it up. The Texas Motor Speedway Hog Heaven Brisket Dog. Man, oh man, that's like, this will get you fat real quick. That's that's easily a foot-long hot dog with boatloads of, it looks like, onion rings on this, bacon, oh man, I, uh, you're gonna croak if you eat two of these. So I might have to try it this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, so if I do, I'll let you guys know on Twitter and Instagram if it was worth it or not. 
or if it's just straight up garbage. But I'm sure you're not gonna promote something like that if it's not gonna be huge and just great in general. So yeah, maybe I'll have to try the hog heavy brisket dog at the DXC Technology 600. But yeah, obviously if I didn't tell you guys before, I will be attending the DXC Technology 600 at Texas Motor Speedway. So my dad and I are basically gonna do this full on, full on spontaneous plane trip to Texas on early Saturday morning. At, we're gonna wake up around four in the morning get on a plane, hop over to Texas, get there, you know, early, you know, late morning, early afternoon, be there the entire race day, be in the garage area around the pits, be there for the race, and then, and then we're gonna take a rental car back to the airport around, you know, one or two in the morning, get on the flight around six in the morning, fly back home, and bam, that's your Sunday. It's gonna be insane. I don't know how this is gonna work, but hey, I'm excited, man. It's going to be one of those experiences that you're either going to love it and let's do it again next year or a couple days later, who knows, or we're going to be like, yeah, there's no way that's happening again. But it'll be a very interesting, you know, it's going to be a great race regardless, great weather, going to be 96 degrees of a high, so that's going to be a real thriller. <laughs> I'll have to make sure to stay hydrated. Ooh, also, I will be attending the Mid-Ohio race for IndyCar in July. That'll be a great race to go to. I'll be there for the entire weekend. So maybe, just maybe, I can get a couple of interviews to have the to have you guys listen to. I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm going to look into some more driver interviews here soon. So hopefully, I'll have some exclusive driver interview content in the in the uh, coming weeks. So looking ahead to this upcoming week, the NTT IndyCar Series heads to Texas for a thriller under the lights at Texas Motor Speedway. With Texas always being a complete crapshoot, it'll be a must-see event on Saturday night on NBC Sports Network. Will Alexander Rossi finally break through and finish his post-Indy 500 Rage Tour, or will drivers like Graham Rahal or James Hinchcliffe spoil the party? Only time will tell. I'll have another episode out, hopefully on Monday after I get off the plane, hoping to not have too much sleep deprivation or jet lag, but that'll be interesting. So make sure to look for that. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Behind Catch and Instagram at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Still have to change that, but I probably won't because I'm too lazy to do that. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.